2014, while preparing a PhD thesis in film and teaching in University College Dublin, John Hosierburn wrote and directed his debut short film, which was selected to premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. He left university to found Stoneface Films, and since then he's written and directed dozens of music videos for the likes of Sony, Universal, Columbia and Rubyworks. He's also written and produced commercial work for Samaritans. Um, Zyle, how do you pronounce that? Is that right? I don't know why you're asking me. Oh, de- <laughs> delivery <laughs> generator and the strategic banking corporation. Lesson. All the big hitters. Uh, creative director of Stoneface Films, John Hersey-Brain. Welcome to the Film Ireland Cup podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're uh, very welcome. I'm very excited to be here. So, uh, John, you have an impressive array of Highly debatable. <laughs> highly, highly debatable. Um of music videos you have done with Stoneface Films over the last um, few years, including uh, Mick Flannery's um, How High music video. Which I, I, that is was amazing. one of them. Um, I which, actually got a yeah. print of that today, would you believe? A person um, uh, from the States was over and uh, gave me, it was a, a, a very kindly a thing. Was, she's an artist uh, uh, called um, Madeline, and uh, she. Uh, did what's my Facebook cover photo, which was she swapped because in that music video it's Mick Flannery in a little perspex box. Oh, that's right. And she made it like a pop vinyl. Like oh yeah, I saw old, that picture. Yeah, so she printed out uh, like a, she did a print of this on a really lovely card thing, and Mick Flannery was apparently in Chicago, and she went and got him to sign it. Oh my god! And she gave it to me today. Oh, that's very sweet. And I was like, it was really really sweet. But also, it's so weird that it's the most circuitous way to get a Mick Flannery signature on a thing. <laughs> and then like, to give it away. Get him in Chicago yeah. and then bring it to Dublin. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, no, no. Um, it's a great video. And you also have done videos for We Could Corners, um, Hermitage mm-hmm. Green, the quicksand oh. video I love. Ah, sure, look. Um, Zaska, uh, their song Different Light, Tim Chadwick, Little that. Hours. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another one. And, uh, of course, uh, your brother. Um, I did one, one or two for him as well. One or two. And we'll talk about them. And yeah. we'll talk about all of them a little bit um, now in a sec. So, firstly, um, it's um, I'm sorry if I sound reticent there. It's that thing of whenever anyone talks to you about work you did more than a month ago, yeah, and you're just filled with self hatred. Do you yeah. know that kind of way? <laughs> I do. Like when people, so when I had terminal out, and people would mm-hmm. ask me a lot about terminal, mm-hmm. and there became there came a certain point in time not long after where I was just like oh, whatever, and you know it's fine. Yeah, and you know people who were very kind about it, and mm-hmm. then. I just didn't really know what to say anymore. And I didn't really believe it myself. Terminal is a superb piece of work. Well, it is a profoundly superb piece of work. Thank, thank you very much. I'm a huge fan of. I'm a huge fan of. Was, is it just? It, no, I. I think I, I got the title wrong. God, I'm so sorry. That's is it fine. just fridge? No, mother. Mother. Mm. I'm so sorry. Yeah, mother That's is fine. an outstanding piece of work. Oh, I really, really enjoyed stop. that. As this well. is about you, John. If you haven't seen that, listener to the podcast, go and check out Natasha Waugh's Mother. It is unbelievable. <laughs> the film, not my actual yeah, mother. Yeah, <laughs> no, go check out her mother. She's a lovely lady. Evelyn. Um, Evelyn, <laughs> top lass. Uh, no, it's it's a really superb piece of work. Thank you very much, John. Yeah. Very good. Um, I appreciate that very much. Back to you and Stoneface Films. Can I, know I swear you're on this podcast? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know if I can swear. <laughs> no, sure. Yeah. I was so close to making this not about me. Yeah, yeah, I saw, ah! I saw what you were trying to do there. No, but it was sincere. All no, of the thing yeah. is, it's, it's still very sincere. But go on anyway, sure. <laughs> um, so, how, do you, how did you get into filmmaking? Why did you want to make films? Well, Why are films so special in your life? That's a very good question. Um, so, I studied in uh, UCD, where I met you, mm-hmm. uh, and I was studying film and philosophy, which is uh, the, the ideal... Venn diagram for pretentious short films made during college. And uh, you will know because I borrowed equipment off you in mm. the film society That's when true. you were auditor um, and made some absolute garbage, uh, which, listen, still holds up, still holds up today as really just bad movie night fair, uh, top quality stuff. Uh, and uh, anyway, I, I was studying film and I really, really loved it. And I did my master's in film. Then I um, sort of pursued that. Uh, and then I uh, was, uh, then I did a PhD for a little while. Uh, but PhDs are really hard. They're very difficult. They're real and hard very long. and real and long. Cost a lot of money. And also, yeah. And uh, uh, I love the teaching. I love teaching film there. Um mm-hmm. 
I was I was really passionate about it. Some would argue to the direct detriment of my actual thesis because I spent so yeah, I was I loved it to bits. Um uh, uh and I loved in specific specifically like I taught in the um uh, European cinema module. Oh, very good. And I adored it. It was just the most incredible experience to share that kind of stuff. And then also like a lot of Iranian cinema we sort of taught and shared. Oh, amazing. It was my, like, just my favorite thing to be mm. able to do that. And also like Italian realism and French New Wave and sort of go through it. And, yeah. you know, this is probably where the philosophy part comes in because sure. you can really, I mean, that's, that's a lovely, like, that's the gateway into existentialism. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, and, and I, yeah, I use the word but anyway, we um, so I was doing the PhD, and in 2014, I got a short film that I made for a hundred euro, um, and it, it through a dramatic clerical error, uh, it made it into Cannes. And then I went to Cannes and it was lovely. Um, and then when I came back, I was like, I like doing this. Uh, so I started doing music videos and stuff like that. And mm. I uh, have been continuing doing music videos and the occasional commercial thing uh, pretty much ever since. And uh, for the last what, four or five years, and uh, I am uh, trying to get a feature uh, funded at the moment and that's sort of where we and 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 doing lovely podcasts doing lovely that's, podcasts that's really most of my time <laughs> well i want mm. to it's that's i mean it's pretty not that you've gone done so much in not a very short or not a very long amount of time very generous of you to say um but uh, Cannes is really cool because i i went to yeah. the can short film corner a few years ago as well mm -hmm. i think the year after you went yeah or yeah. something yeah i think that was right um and the can short film corner is a lot of fun it's mm -hmm. so much fun and mm -hmm. you get to meet lots of people and do lots of things. Mm -hmm. And there's a happy hour mm -hmm. in the short film corner every mm -hmm. day when you get they give you out free beer mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what was that? What was your experience like? Did you make contacts? Did you have just I a met, great time? I met fantastic contacts in film industries hugely removed from my <laughs> own. I made the best Romanian contacts uh, you'll ever come across. And I, and that's that's uh, it's also true. Like you do meet people from all mm. works of life from all over the world. And it's marvelous. Um, I think it was also just at the time an amazingly eye open ex experience on the mechanics of, you know, um, of the industry, I suppose, because I was coming in from, you know, if you if if you were studying, depending on where you studied film in college, you know, if you were an IADT person, you would have sure. a very, very different experience of film and, and the practical, you know, uh, uh, methodologies than you would if you've come through like a Trinity or a UCD where it's entirely theoretical. And, right. you know, like I was there for what, how many, three, four, I was there for six years studying film and at no point does do they tell you which end to point the camera. You know what it's I mean? True. It's true. Yeah. So it's all very, very theoretical. So then when I did go to uh, uh, Cannes, it was like uh, in, in, a, in a different way. It was like unveiling, oh, this is how this industry works. Yeah. Um, and that was, I suppose, my main takeaway from it. Cannes is really, really like it's like an alien world. Like it's sort mm. of like, you know, it, the, 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 the level of... Um, the wealth, Affluence, yeah, you know. the level of wealth that you see over there is, is kind of, it's marvellous and mm -hmm. obscene at the same time. Yeah. And it's just completely larger than life. It's like the, like my, one of my favourite places I've ever been was Venice, right? Yeah. And Venice is lovely for a bunch of different reasons. But what I loved about it was that it was like a completely different type of, it was sort of like in Star Trek where they go down to a planet and they're like, oh, this is like our planet, but this with this completely different thing that makes yeah. it entirely different. And it's, you're almost like it's on an alien world where it's like, oh, there's just water everywhere. Yeah. This is how we live. <laughs> yeah. And it was sort of like that, but just for affluence. Do you yeah. Know what no, I mean? yeah, no, totally. <laughs> it was yeah. like a completely different uh, little universe, but it was, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. They played cool. warriors on the beach. Like, you know, the Did they, film. Yeah. The war so you were like, can you dig it? And the yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was lovely. They they had like little beach seats, and you got a little blanket, and oh, they nice. and they played the Warriors, and it's one of my favorite films. So I really really enjoyed that. I I can't remember what they played when we were there. I did not go to the beach screening, but mm -hmm. I mean, we saw the, the lovely screen, and yeah, they also mm -hmm. did a 25th anniversary of Pulp Fiction the year oh, I was there because it was the you know when that that premiered there, and I high fived Quentin Tarantino as he went past. Oh, amazing. One of my most cherished memories. You're taking me all back now. This is crazy. <laughs> Did you go to the Petit Majestic? Oh, mm. 
did I? Uh, which one was that again? You have to it's, remind me. It's a little dingy bar out the back of the Majestic Hotel. I know Everyone exactly what to, you're talking about. Where it's sort of almost just drinking on the street, like that. Oh, kind it's of basically thing. drinking on the yeah, street. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know it. I know it well. Yeah, <laughs> you can get you know warm cups of plastic cups of red yeah. wine and yeah, 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 yeah. mingle with. And there's no bathrooms, no. <laughs> no bathrooms whatsoever, and you fend for yourself. Yeah, no, I, I remember that well. Yeah, it was lovely. It was a lovely experience. Yeah, um, I'd say you know, like, and 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 you know, hey, this is film Ireland. I would I would uh, happily uh, uh, promote our our own film industry, but I almost think you would do better if you were a young filmmaker listening and you had a short, like, mm. look look closer afield to a certain degree because I think you'll probably yeah. meet people in, say, the film flyer or wherever, which would be of more direct uh, resonance to your career trajectory. I would, I would happen to, I would, I would agree because, mm-hmm. I mean, networking here as a young filmmaker, I think when you're getting into local festivals and national yeah. film festivals, you can kind of grow from the inside out. Mm-hmm. I think that's much, I think that's much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a, with yeah. that said, an amazing experience. Delighted oh, yeah. I had it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think the FLA in particular is a really great resource That's for cool. young filmmakers. Yeah, definitely. And it's very informal, mm-hmm. considering it's such a big festival now. Absolutely, yeah. And you can go off to the, the boat club. Considering and... the president is just hanging around. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It is surprisingly and like the biggest, the biggest producers and yeah, filmmakers yeah. flock and then yeah. go to the boat club and everyone's kind of equal then. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's very... Uh, yeah, you know, there's no tablecloths to be had. Do you no. know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Anyway, yeah. anyway, that's no, that's it. a very strange way to hang that metaphor. No, but, but I like it. I mean, yeah. that's you're kind of right, though. Yeah. I mean, it's different to say diff is a little flashier, mm-hmm. um, and then the flas is it's a little bit more, um, like you're saying, just no tablecloths. Mm-hmm. I think there's also something about um, if if the majority of the industry as a whole is based in Dublin, which yeah. you know. Um, there's something compared to like I keep going to say JDIF, which it is not, but you understand. I know I, mean. I, I keep going to ADIF, and right, it's not, not that Audi, anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, uh. I think there's something to be said for like I moved down to Wicklow about six months ago, something like okay. that, which is where I grew up. And like, if you have people down for the weekend and they know there's no way they can go home, even if they wanted to, <laughs> lads tend to they they drink a lot more. They're a lot more, you know three sheets to the wind sort of thing. Okay. Um, I, I don't know why that, like compared to when I used to have people over to my place in Dublin, if this makes sense. Right? Okay. Yeah. And I feel like because of that, like when, when everyone is away in Galway, sort of like, well, this is effectively holidays. <laughs> drink a lot. And, you know, I'm not a big drinker, right? But mm. like people are very, very open and very approachable. And it's a, a, a fantastic resource in that regard. Yeah, definitely. And they've great, they have fun things. And actually you were down last year um, mm-hmm. at the 2018 Galway Film Flat. And you were in, you were a finalist in the pitching contest. Yeah, it was a, a really lovely, incredible experience. Um I really, really enjoyed it. It was won by a gentleman called Liam Beatty, who had a film, uh, a documentary called, I believe, yeah, uh, called uh, Don't Forget Your Dress. It was this incredible story of, of this um, really sort of striking feminist figure, I believe, around the turn of the century, mm. who uh, gets in, gets sort of caught in an avalanche and her nice clothes are, it was the most ludicrous, true life, real life story about sort of, um, uh, uh, feminism versus Victorian mores, which is just the most brilliant theme, you know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Any Victorians behaving badly. In fact, that would be a great sitcom. <laughs> we should make that immediately. We should actually. Yeah. Yeah, let's do go. it. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a worthy winner. Um, there was a couple of really fantastic projects that were, mm. um, that I, I hope we'll see the light of day that were being uh, presented there. Um, and it was great. I felt like I immediately went into the pre, um, you know, there was sort of a meeting beforehand and we were working out, you sort of worked out the running order between yourselves, right? And, uh, you know, uh, I just sort of put up my hand. I was like, guys, mine, my movie is like really, it's, it's a real sad nightmare of a thing. <laughs> and I'm happy to go last because I don't want anyone to have to go up after my mother and baby home. Uh, feature film and like you know then pitch their comedy you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so it was really it was a lovely experience and everyone got on really well and it was, it was great I really really enjoyed it and would you say like it was a, is it a valuable experience is it is it kind of something that's great to do to try and build up your I absolutely pitching think it or? is because yeah I've I've because um, I find it's such a daunting thing pitching well absolutely and I've done a lot more pitching actually since uh, the FLA than I did beforehand, I think largely because that was where the project was at that point, right? It wasn't, um, 
uh, and I, it, it's been hugely hem- helpful in actually boiling down and synthesizing a pitch into um, you know the you know there's there's a bunch of different versions you have your 30 second pitch and you have your five minute pitch or whatever but um <laughs> it's been hugely helpful for me yeah in uh getting the 30 second one right if that makes sense yeah totally it's hard yeah. to kind of reduce down your film into its key components sometimes. absolutely when you spend yeah. so much time with it 100 percent. Like, oh it's this and oh it's that and then the yeah. person in front of you is like totally falling asleep oh totally and, like, and oh no hang on <laughs> in my personal case as i mentioned this is a film um uh, I, I keep saying um, mother and baby homes. Mm. Uh, yeah, tell which, us about your, are you, can you, can yeah, you I'll happily talk yeah. about it, but um, uh, Terry, who the film is about, is mm. an incredible, unbelievable woman in a whole host of different ways, but she gets furious whenever I use the word home because she insists it is to be called institution. Sure. Uh, because there was no, there was no homeliness about no, the environment yeah. and I completely understand where she's coming from. And, uh, a lot of the film, I suppose, is about being in the dark age of language as we are and I suppose we're seeing more and more as a society how important that stuff is but mm-hmm. anyway um, uh, and and also in fact they, there's a whole group of people who are advoca- just adver- advocating for it to be the, the terminology to be used as a mother and child institution because uh, uh, children were still being um, for want of a better word trafficked until up until the age of six so uh, they consider baby somewhat reductive or minimizing and i understand their point <laughs> anyway the, we we may be moving away from the point the, yeah, my my the film i was pitching down the galway film flat um is called think on your sins uh and uh it is about a woman a true story about a woman called uh, terry harrison who in 1973 uh as a pregnant 18 year old she was living in london and she was uh, abducted she was kidnapped by a priest uh, and flown to bespera mother and baby home in cork where uh she um began this really remarkable sort of psychological game of move and counter move with the home's mother superior sort of a rebellious campaign if you like um uh, a, a sort of a resistance campaign which ultimately uh, uh resulted in the sudden disappearance of her child and there's you know escape attempts there's um you know uh these bizarre uh psychosexual um power games played between the nuns and the and the um and the mothers and it's it's just the most harrowing story and and Mm. terry had the most incredible life because she went from there to she she escaped she was recaptured she uh you know at one point she literally tried to topple over a seven foot statue of the virgin mary like if you were writing that it would be like uh, that's a bit on the nose like maybe yeah. you shouldn't you know what i mean but it's it's you know and for everything that for all the impossible standards set by uh the virgin mary for uh uh you know for women in this country i suppose um but uh yeah she went on to uh uh she was uh she started sort of the first um support groups for survivors of uh, these institutions, you know, back in the day when support groups were not really a thing and they pretended it was a book club and all of the women would take a random book from their home and all show up with a library's (laughs) worth of completely different books and sit Uh, and talk because so thick was the shame of the environment at the time. And uh, she would go on to become director of the Women's Council of Ireland, be elected director of the Women's Mm -hmm. Council of Ireland. She'd fly all around the world fighting for the rights of women in minority communities with Hillary Clinton. She had this unbelievable life. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm basically trying to tell her story in as authentic and, uh, you know, as, in, in as authentic and experiential a way as I possibly can, uh, which is, which has been a, a really tricky one for a bunch of different reasons, but I really truly believe it's an experience, uh, it's, it's, it's a story worth telling. Um, the, the title of the film, you know, um, think on your sins is a line that said by the mother superior, to uh, Terry at one point but in the broader sense that's really what the film is about right it's an attempt to um, encourage Irish audiences on both sides of the Atlantic in a hypothetical you know perfect world where it gets you know made and distributed um, uh, 
to to reconsider the nature of a national identity, which is so often idealized or um, oversimplified in the context of post-colonial victimhood. Right? It's it's uh, an attempt to sort of look at our um, our responsibilities uh, as a state and as a society um, to uh, its women and our failings therein. Right? And that's not just encompassing. Uh, uh, the mothers who were interred here, but sort of the big, uh, I suppose, Terry's big revelation in the third act, which is something that, again, she came to uh, in real life, was the realization that even the sisters who were put in here, you know, were were uh, young women who were thrown into these, you know, into convents. They, they had no agency in this situation. They had no choice. They were told, okay, you're going to go marry God and you're going to go do his work and you're going to be denied, um, you know, sex and, and the possibility of raising a family or what have you. Mm. And then cruelly put in charge of women who have, quote unquote, indulged in exactly what they've been denied and then being surprised when that turns into a cruel environment. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and it's about, um, on the whole, the complicit nature of uh, the state in all of these things. She, uh, Terry herself testified in the European Commission against mm. not just uh, the, the sisters in this particular home, but against the Irish state itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and and that's really what what the, the title of the film refers to, I suppose. I think it makes sense. Anyway, geez, sorry. God, no, wasn't, it much, wasn't it much nicer when we were just talking about being in college and we'll go back to that in making a second. pretentious short films? <laughs> oh, oh, God, nobody will see mine. I have one from college. Oh, man. And it's under... I'll send it to you. The crack you uh, we should trade. We, we, we'll tra <laughs> we should trade. I have one that is so dreadful and so in retrospect, and there's no judgment in this, but it just is the way it came out, like wildly homoerotic. <laughs> Um, it was like a horror film and I didn't realise oh but like there, it really really is and there's no um, you know uh, it just wasn't intentional but there you go it's very prominent throughout the film well I'll, I'll mention mine in a second but just to go back to think on your sense and just to, I suppose to finish that off mm -hmm. um, sure you, you mean you told me about that at the FLA yeah and I think it's an astonishing story mm -hmm. I think it's such an important story to tell and I truly hope that you get to make, John. I hope so too. It's, um, I think talking about these things mm -hmm. is so important. And I think people seeing them in mainstream cultural mediums like mm -hmm. film, I think people are, you know, seeing it in front of them. Um, I think film is a great idea. What I'm trying to say, I suppose, is that, is that film, I think, is a very important tool for social change. Absolutely. And it should be utilised as such. And I, I really, really hope that you get to make that. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right in a way that so few things are. Like... So few forms of um, of 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 art or visual art or whatever mm. have had tangible social effects. Like I mean, you look at everything from yeah. Well, we were talking about Iranian cinema earlier yeah, on, right? Yeah. Like I don't know if you'd be familiar with um, uh, Jafar Panahi by any chance. No. I uh, crazy about Jafar Panahi, right? Mm. Um, he did Offside, and this is not a film, which oh, I, I know, I know of them. Yeah, this is not a film. I believe was nominated for something. It won. Yeah. It won. Uh, I believe it won the Golden Bear. Um, uh, anyway, uh, it's you know unbelievable. Well, anyway, his film Offside was just as an example. Uh, it's a film about women trying to sneak into a World Cup qualifying football match. You can tell, you can tell when I don't know things, right? Yeah. Uh, between Iran and Behran, right? Okay. And they actually shot it in that, at that oh my God. World Cup qualifying match, actually sneaking these women into the That's match amazing. to film it, right? So unbelievable sort of, you know, real, the intersection of, of neorealism and unbelievable uh, DIY filmmaking, I suppose, um, and it it like was obviously banned in Iran, but then yeah. sort of pirated uh, VHS copies started circulating. Sorry, DVDs started circulating, and um, uh, there was this sort of social movement that sprung up called uh, the White Glove Girls of like women showing up outside soccer matches with signs saying like I don't want to be offside, like stuff that spoke yeah. specifically to, to this film, yeah. right? Um, and it's incredible as well because you have this 
I, I would just highly recommend anyone watch this film because like when you hear the, the, the screams of the crowd sort of echoing through this complex where they're trying to get into the bathroom, but, but of course there's only male bathrooms in these, you know, in, in these, in this stadium, like that's actually that crowd at that game. It's incredible. Um, but yeah. Well, side note, I almost Sorry. did. No, no. Talking it's... nonsense. But that's just, that's what you're, you're dead right about. I'm, I'm, yeah. All I'm saying is exactly your point, like the, as a medium for social change, it's unparalleled. Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, that's what I really wanted to achieve with Terminal. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it was, I think I saw that in, in parts, especially towards, especially last year and, and the year after when mm -hmm. I was working with the artist campaign to repeal the eighth. Um, and that was like I was very very happy for mm -hmm. it to 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 work in that way. But anyway, that's a that's another conversation. But you're you're quite right, and I think it's so easy. And this is something that we actually tried to do with the Nina Cried Power video, yeah, we right? Talk about that, yeah. Um, we had Anna Cosgrave, mm -hmm. who um is the founder of Repeal.ie, or the the sort of the the black repeal jumpers that yeah. became um ubiquitous effectively uh, throughout that whole campaign. That was that was Anna, right? And uh, she's a remarkable individual. I have the most huge amount of time for her, for someone who didn't set out to become like a, a, a big socio-cultural leader, for someone who sort of yeah. went like, I have, I have this cool idea for a jumper, <laughs> and then was, ca you know, catapulted into the stratosphere. Anyway, we, we included her in the, in the Nina video, but like, yeah, she she's was great. great. She's very moved by it. She was very, man, that was a remarkable experience. If, um, Actually, do you know that's actually a pretty good a pretty good segue into that. We can talk about that if you'd like. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I quite, um, I'm quite proud of that video. Yeah, I had to put it in for a thing there, and I watched it for the first time since it came out like a week ago, and it's not, it's, it's, I, I take absolutely no credit for it. It's a direct, it, like, the, the emotional resonance I feel at it is based entirely on the reactions of these individuals and the lives they've led, right? Um, so this was a video I did for um, uh, the musician Hosier, who's my brother. Um, we uh, He had this song called Nina Cried Power, which was this you know, unbelievable song about protest and the legacy of dissent mm -hmm. and uh, and specifically about protest songs, right? So yeah. it's, it goes through a list of different, you know, um, uh, different musicians who... Yeah. Uh, have lent their voices to that legacy of dissent, right? And the idea behind the video, and I shot it with an incredibly talented uh, uh, director called Patrick Ryan, uh, who runs Lagoon Films with Tommy Fitzgerald, who is my DP on almost everything that I shoot. Um, and uh, uh, the, 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 the three of us sort of produced it. And uh, the idea was that we'd bring in... Uh, activists, Irish, specifically Irish activists, uh, from, you know, a host of different causes and, uh, project images from the legacy of their work, uh, across their faces and onto the background behind them and have them put on the headphones and listen to the song for the first time. And the idea really, the hook of the thing was we wanted to capture the moment when, uh, these activists realized that the song itself was an attempt to, uh, embody uh, the spirit of their life's work, right? Uh, and we could take obviously take no credit for the song, but we just wanted to put those two things together and see if we can capture that moment, right? Mm. Um, and the images that we projected onto them sort of formed the connective tissue between the song and its themes and the subjects in their work, right? So that was sort of what we were trying to do um and we got the most unbelievable people to 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 come in and be part of the video i mean um you know we got we got uh 20 people 20 activists as well as uh mavis staples yeah, who, who features on the track right um and she herself had this unbelievable uh, role in the civil rights movement of the 1960s, right? She, she was telling us these stories backstage. And I mean, you know, uh, just talking about Martin, like, oh my God, like, in the most casual way, it was, it was genuinely an incredible moving experience to just even be in her presence. Like she was, mm. and also just the coolest individual you've ever talked to in your entire life. Anyway, um, so yeah, we had, uh, say Christina Noble, yeah. who, um, 
of the Christina Noble Foundation, who uh, has, I mean, simplest way to put it is saved the lives of hundreds upon hundreds of orphans in Vietnam and all around Asia. Uh, uh, sorry, we have Bernadette Michalski who fought for um, voting rights in the North with Eamon McCann, who was sure. also in the video. And Eamon oh, McCann, yeah. unbelievable um, activist, uh, like anti-war activist in his own right. You know, Bernadette Michalski, just the most, if you're not familiar with her story, uh, she was uh, a sort of an incredible activist and social mobilizer during the Battle of the Bogside uh, in uh, the north in, in Derry um, and would go on to become a sitting MP. Um, she famously, uh, when I can't remember the name of the MP, but she was refused. She gave this unbelievable maiden speech. She was refused the right to speak on Bloody Sunday uh, in uh, Parliament, despite the fact that any there's a law effectively that any MP who was witness to something which is being discussed in Parliament has the right to talk about it mm -hmm. or address the House. And she was repeatedly refused that right. And instead, um, uh, another MP whose name escapes me, a, a Conservative uh said that the, um, the 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 British troops fired in self-defense and she walked across the parliament floor and slapped him across the face. Oh my God, fair play. Uh, she also was, um, uh, I mean, I don't want to go too much into it because yeah. I'll just be, it's like I'm, you know, uh, but I mean, she was uh, shot 14 times. She, yeah, like she's the most truly inspirational person Um and and speaking to her was the most moving, moving thing. And same with um, uh, uh, with Christina Noble. I found that in particular those those we had Joe Cal. You know the the giant mural um, yes. of the two men holding yeah. each other that was coming up to the um, marriage equality referendum. Yeah, yeah. And he's done a bunch of other things, but that was maybe the one that was. I think that was. Um, described in the Irish Times of one of the most 10 influential art pieces of the last century or something like that, right? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah it was, you know, so Joe Castlin was the artist who did that. We had um, Saoirse Long, who talked really openly and frankly about um, her experiences in uh, coming up to the referendum and was um, a huge turning point, I think, in the public debate. We had Panty Bliss, we had Anna Cosgrave, who we've talked about, Simone George, who's one of the most inspirational women you've ever come across in your entire life. Um, Colm O'Gorman, who's the head yeah, of Amnesty yeah. and, and uh, uh, only, we'd only, I'd only met him the week before uh, when he was doing the Stanford Truth Rally. Uh, oh, yes. When yeah. I was there, I was there at that with them um, in conjunction with the Pope's visit or what have you. Um, Ali Kisambe, who um, uh, we had, a, we had a couple of different people who worked um uh, with different aspects of direct provision. And um, Ellie in particular, I think was she founded this thing called Open Table where previously people who were under direct provision couldn't cook. They're not allowed to cook for themselves. Right, yeah. So um, a lot of them uh, uh, don't have access to you know their their food they were used to or whatever. Sure. Um. And and Ellie sort of started a charity which mobilised that. And uh, we had Stephen Ree, who's just the most incredible actor and also an activist for uh, uh, the rights of people in direct provision. Um. Uh. Unbelievable. Lucky. Oh man. Lucky Kambule was also truly, truly incredible and one of the most. Uh one of the most harrowing stories of any human being I've ever talked to in my entire life. So we had all these people and we uh, projected different aspects of their work uh, across their faces as they listened to the song for the first time. And some of it, like in particular, I think Christina Noble's reaction just, I mean, truly broke my heart. Like it was in particular, she was the most charismatic human being you've ever seen in your entire life. Like she came in, was cracking jokes with everyone. Like she was, so funny like so like there wasn't a single person on the set who wasn't like glued like their eyes were glued to her because she was just the most effortlessly charismatic human being you've ever heard, seen in your entire life and she sat down and listened to the song and when that moment we talked about happened sort of the the mask dropped a little bit and you could see like her story right you could see when she was taken 
by the Vietnamese mob and beaten and left by the side of a road because he she was, you know, um, interfering with their sales of children, right? Like, you could see every, you know, moment of her story written across her face, like, when she was listening to this. And it just, like, lads seasoned filmic veterans were like were crying were crying like just watching the monitor um so like i said like uh, that was um you know there was some really superb work from from tommy and patrick in particular uh uh who i co-produced it with but um it was just an unbelievable privilege to get to work with those people. And yeah, it, um, you seem quite, I mean, when you're talking about them, you seem quite just completely in awe of them. I, I truly am. Yeah. I truly, truly am. And, and um, you know, what was really, what it was really almost a more remarkable experience was the edit, right? Because, you know, if you're doing a music video, you have to find this very specific tonality that goes with right. this song, right? That's almost the, like, an, a music video in a lot of ways is an advertisement by any other name for, for a different variety of product, if you like. And this felt totally different. This felt like, um, uh, the best way I could probably describe it is, you know, like um, Koi and Sequatsi, Yeah. Right? Like that kind of thing where there's no narrative to hang the edit on. It's it's an emotional arc constructed <laughs> visually. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. There's no dialogue or what have you. <laughs> so, you know, for something like this, it was, we, we were trying to shape um, an emotional narrative uh, uh, through what seemed looked like a quite simple edit but you know we agonized for 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 hours over is this where this shot goes or is this what this because there's no there's no you know like we tried to keep it as um uh chronologically true to this is this point in the song where they were listening to you know what i mean yeah i do yeah. um uh but you know you've also got uh effectively you know 22 different individuals you can cut to at any particular moment right um uh and going through that and like sitting in a dark room for a couple of days, just watching their reactions over and over and over again, like it was an incredibly moving experience. I, you know, I am truly in awe of them. Yeah, no, it's an amazing piece of work. And, um, I think it's, it's so great that you're, you're paying, like your, your brother has called it like this mm-hmm. thank you note to protest. Mm-hmm. And obviously he was referring to musicians. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great, you know, musicians throughout, you know, um, whatever their mm-hmm. span of their career. Um, and I think it's so amazing that you're, using your platform as an Irish filmmaker to pay homage to Irish activists. Well, this is it. I think that's really important as well. And I mean, that's exactly the legacy that we were talking about earlier, right? But I mean, you know, in, for for any number of different causes, whether it's, you know, um, uh, Panty Bliss and Sam Blankensy, like laying the groundwork for generations of Irish LGBTQ plus people to come, you know, in Sam Blankensy was the person who, effectively wrote the legislation which um, enables uh, transgender people to uh, uh, choose the gender on their birth certificate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, um, whether whether it's that, whether it's the Eighth Amendment uh, or the repeal of the Eighth Amendment, whether it's direct provision, like these are people who are actively uh, championing a, a, a different Ireland than we grew up in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's wholly incredible. It is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and, and sure, look, uh, it's also just incredible to see, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, be filmmakers and go and have our career. And these are people who've devoted their entire lives to something infinitely greater than themselves or their own egos. And, and that's in, if it was just that, let alone their remarkable accomplishments, that would be, that they would be, um, worthy of celebrating. And it was just lovely to have that opportunity, you know? Yeah. Do you know what was really cool as well, actually, was um, now it's the song, not the video, right? But yeah. Barack Obama listed that as oh, one yeah, of his favourite songs that. of the year. That's very cool. And I do not know for certain whether Barack Obama has seen my music video, but I choose to believe that he has. I think I think he probably has. You'd, you'd have Who to. He'd have John? to. He would have had to. Of it would have been mad for him not to. He would have YouTubed it first. He, he would have typed, typed uh, listen, it in. We all know he's more of a YouTube music lad than a Spotify lad. Obviously. Like, he's famous for it. <laughs> But that's incredible. Like even in the context of the video that we're talking about here, right? Um, yeah, it's it's wholly incredible that someone so fundamentally synonymous with societal change, right? right. Like change, literally being, you know, the the 
his 2008 slogan, right? Uh, that he is in any way associated in the most tangential manner with the project is mind blowing to me, you know, and incredibly humbling. Um, and look, you know, that's the other great thing about this is that not only in attempt, I'm not saying it does this right, but you know, absolutely like it from the treatment when we set out, we wanted to do something that wasn't just a recognition of these individuals and their work, but also mm-hmm. something which would encourage the viewer to consider their own role in, right. uh, in, in, the legacy of activism, if that makes sense. And uh, that's, yeah, it was, it's just, hey, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of El Brack. It was lovely <laughs> for him to say nice things. It's pretty um, cool. Uh, it's really, really cool. It's really cool. Um, well, I hope, I'm gl- so glad that it's, I mean, it's been so successful and I'm so glad sure that, uh, that you've had that little. It's, it's nice anyway. We'll see. Little, uh, Keep tipping away. Like. Sure. We'll keep tipping away. So what is your... Can we talk about mother now more? <laughs> Actually, do you know we'll what? Talk about we'll, talk about, we'll go back to college. Okay, sure. Let's talk about, let's talk about college. So okay. um, I am a... I love I love film studies. Mm-hmm. I loved my degree. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so important that people have that um, academic uh, appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, yeah. you know, scholarly work on yeah. film. 100%. Um, and I'm doing my master's now. I went back mm-hmm. to UCD to, I am to your delighted, alma mater. Delighted to hear it, by the way. And actually, I almost did my thesis on Iranian film. Is that right? Yeah, I swear to God, it's so That's weird. That's fantastic. That so um, I decided not to uh, right. because I decided that I was not prepared to, like Stephen, you do not have to leave this in, but I just wasn't mm-hmm. prepared to take on like in the entirety of a national. Oh no, absolutely. Fifteen thousand yeah. words. Ah, uh, look, I, I, if you want to talk know. about uh, overreaching thesi, <laughs> if that is the plural, sure. you're talking to the right guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a so, huge, and I mean, it is the most ridiculously vibrant, like uh, contemporary mm-hmm. national cinema. Like there is a huge amount to cover there. Uh, if 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 it was just. Um, Jafar Panan, but Panahi and Abbas Kiristami, like that's loads. Like that's more than yeah. a master's thesis in and of itself. That's a PhD. Like. It is one hundred percent a PhD. Yeah. And um, but I did want to do something on social change and mm-hmm. you know a national cinema on social change. Mm-hmm. But I I decided not to do it. So I was going to try and narrow it down to the films of Asghar Farhadi, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just decided to move on. You should check um, out. This is not a film as well. If I you will. get a chance, because it was it won the I think it won the Golden Bear, but it was smuggled out because he was under house arrest. He was told Abbas Sami, This is told you can't make any more films for twenty years. You can't appear in uh, any. You can't do any interviews. You can't do blah blah blah. Oh, this whole list of things you can't do. Can't leave the house. Can't leave Iran. Um, and a friend of his comes and visits him to his house where he is under house arrest and films him from the moment he wakes up. And, um, uh, and he is sort of, it's, it's the most heartbreaking thing for a filmmaker to watch, I think, because he's, he's got a script that he really wants to make, right? But he, he legally cannot make it. And he's made out, like he's taping on the ground the size of the set he would have shot it in. And he's sort of acting it out and until he sort of breaks and is like, um, if I can talk a film, why can't I make a film? And like, you can see how desperately, like every uh, inch of him is, is, Mm. you know, really just wants to get this story out. Um, And it's, it's heartbreakingly beautiful. The film was smuggled to, uh, I can't remember, Venice or Berlin in a USB thumb drive baked into a cake. Oh my god! That's how they got it out, and it's just—it's truly heartbreaking. And it, it, what is what's brilliant about it as well is that it plays really cleverly with the notion of uh, what constitutes filmmaking, what constitutes mm. storytelling. Um, it's it's beautiful, and you should—I totally, would recommend anyone check it out. Really, it's a marvelous piece of film. Because like filmmaking, it, like it is an impulse. Like mm-hmm. I can understand that oh, this yeah, kind yeah. of desire to kind of push something out there. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's, that is sad. And there's also like, I mean, there's also a degree of, I was only talking about this earlier on, and I suppose this ties in slightly to what we were saying about um, these individuals who choose to do something greater than themselves, right? There's also a degree of ego in oh, t- filmmaking, right? 100%. There's a degree of, 
And with any creative endeavor, right? There's some part of the old soul or psyche or what have you that needs filling with strangers' applause, right? <laughs> like, that's a large part of it. Um, I won't argue with that. I'm sorry. You uh, won't no, argue. Won't, sorry. No, no, sorry. No, sorry. I, sorry. I misheard no. you there. I thought you said something terribly cruel to me. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And, and, and that's sort of, that's in this particular film played off really, really well as well. Um, so yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating thing. We're, we're, we're weird, weird creatures. Same with stand up comedians. Same with I know, like, musicians. Sometimes when I, when I've worked on sets in the past, not necessarily as a director. Mm-hmm. But if I was doing the odd job as an AD or a mm-hmm. PA or something, and I look around and everybody's so stressed out of their brain and mm-hmm. losing their minds, and that could be myself, you mm-hmm. know, it could be other people. And I'm like, guys, we're making a fake thing. We're just like, this is, this is not. I was on a, I was shadow directing on a, a commercial last week, mm-hmm. and I, I could not get over the intricate details of mm-hmm. going into making potato crisps look so <laughs> unbelievable, you know. But that's, you know, that's our lives, John. That's what well. we, you know. Sure, we're trying anyway. Um, so, uh, so how has how has academic film life, film scholarly studies, film studies, how has that informed your filmmaking? That's a super good question. And the first thing I would say is that it's been like certainly for the first while, it was a huge uphill battle mm-hmm. to make the leap into doing practical things with. Uh, very little sort of terminology uh, in my back pocket or whatever. So there was a lot of um, very patient uh, cinematographers and you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of patient crews and stuff um, because I'd sort of know what I want, but, uh, you know, sometimes the lex- the lexicon might escape you, if that makes sense. Um, and that slowly became less of a problem, I suppose. Um, I will say, yeah, it is definitely that thing of like, uh, if you have a good grounding in, uh, weird, nonsensey experimental film, you have a much wider array of things you can rip off. Um, <laughs> that's the best way I could probably put it. I say that that's very glib, but you know, the, the sort of, uh, expression of if you, if you copy one person, it's plagiarism. If you copy two, it's research, right? It's what my art teacher used to always used to say, right? But I do think, I, I mean, I'm saying that in a very glib way, but I don't mean it like that. But it, there is like a degree of if you, if you have a, a wide academic net of all sorts of bizarre and esoteric things, you have a degree of inspiration to draw on. Sure. That, you know, yeah. uh, is very helpful. Um, so, you know, we were lashing around Koi and Sequatsi and stuff, you know what I mean? Like no, as, yeah, as and a, uh, like Italian neorealism. And actually, I, I, you know, I was kind of, I was going to ask you, like, what, like, what's your, I mean, are you a Truffaut man? Are you an Eisenstein oh, man? man? Are you um, a Fellini man? I, well, I love, I love Fellini and I love Eisenstein, but I'm a, I'm a Goddard baby. I'm, oh. I, <laughs> I'm a Goddard baby all the way. And I also am... Um, my favorite director of all time has to be Michael Haneke. Oh, yeah. I'm crazy about Michael Haneke. Um, What's your favorite Haneke film? Uh, do you know, that's a really hard question, right? Okay. I have to say, I think Funny Games was the first um, film of his that I watched, right? Likewise. Probably in UCD, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, it would just, I was immediately spellbound by it. Now, there's a more I do think as well. Um, Amour, I think, is one of the most moving experiences I've ever had in a cinema, but I never want to watch it ever again. Yeah. I never want to watch Amour once again for the, I never need to see it again for the rest of my life. You've had that, you've had that one emotional yeah. experience. I, I, yeah. But, but I mean, how remarkable, like how yeah, remarkable a thing true. that you can be like, you know, that's, that was something I hugely value. I never want to experience ever again. Um, but yeah, no, Funny Games, I definitely think, um, fundamentally changed the way, uh, I, I, I look at what you can do in the form, right? Mm. Because there is a moment in that film where, you know, when you're watching it for the first time that you realize that the funny games aren't being played with the family. And Ulrich Mew and, and the cast, they're being played with the audience. They're being played with you. I don't think there's any spoilers to say that, but, well, maybe there is. I don't know. But anyway, uh, it's that sort of, um, 
it goes beyond what a lot of the the names you just talked about, like mm. are, you know, <clears throat> really active in their attempts to encourage active participation yeah. with the viewer, right? right. They, they're, you know, it's, it's Brechtian, right? They're looking for um, the viewer to participate in some of Godard probably more than most, right? Um, well, Truffaut actually as well. Is. But then you uh, go to Hanukkah and it's he 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 in a in a very metaphysical way takes it up a level by actively um uh it's it's it goes beyond circumvention of expectations you know you've got sort of stuff like you know the knife for instance right in in funny games do you remember the knife uh, I don't want to give anything oh, away. No, like, well, no, it's been many years. I, the last yeah. time I saw it was in a lecture in East Right, right, right. So I'll I've, give nothing well, away, but yeah. it's it just there's because if you haven't seen it, listener at home, I would really, really recommend it, and definitely the original Austrian version, and not. Oh, the, that's that's the only one I've seen. Not the with, remake with Tim Roth. Avoid that. <laughs> I do you know one thing about funny games? I, this is probably a spoiler, mm-hmm. but it's just feeling so played when they rewound. Oh yeah, the no, it's definitely a spoiler. And, yeah, I mean that's a massive spoiler, but anyway, just. <laughs> It's like was, was exactly the crux what of I was the avoiding. film, was it? Okay. But yeah, no, absolutely. Like there, there is a realization when, yeah, you feel like betrayed because yeah. like the institutional mode of representation that you've been programmed to understand film in, that time moves in a singular fashion forward, that, you know, it's like, it's like if you watch, um, I always showed my students, it was never on the curriculum or whatever, but I always showed them, Ed, was it Edward, Edwin Burroughs? I can't remember the surname, Edwin someone, Edwin Porter, I think maybe. Oh yeah, Edwin S. Porter. Edwin S. Porter, thank you. The Life of an American Fireman from 1913. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, saw that recently actually. Really? In okay. Ryan's class. Get away, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's gas. Okay, so that's the, he must cover that in the Masters, does he? Uh, he does. A, he runs a class in early in silent cinema. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. But uh, as you'll know from seeing it recently, um, I would just play it in its entirety to my first year class and be like, what's weird about that, guys? Um, because if you haven't seen it, uh, it, it plays out the same events twice from yep. two different camera angles for no other reason than they just sort of hadn't figured out at that point <laughs> that maybe films should move continuously sure, forward yeah. <laughs> chronologically. And that's marvellous. That's beautiful. Like that's you watching them discover the form as they go. Yeah, that was actually the, one of the nicest parts of that course actually yeah. was just kind of seeing this whole thing unfold in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so academic film studies, you use that, you use exactly what you learned to try and apply mm-hmm. to, your, to your films. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's exactly kind of how I view it is mm-hmm. that I have more stuff too. So how does that, how is that informed? So music videos then, I mean, do you mm-hmm. take that knowledge that you've, that you've used and apply that to music videos? I, I, I certainly suppose, try I suppose, to, right? I suppose, do you know what my question is? My question is, like, where does the process for creating music videos begin? Does right, it begin right, with right. the song? Does it begin with the okay. the form? Does it begin with the musician? Where does that idea well, come I th- from? I think there's a couple of things going on there to unpack, right? And the first thing is, obviously, it's with the song and uh, listening to the song and listening to the song and listening to the song. And I will listen to a song maybe 30 times, really, and just, like, keep writing, just keep writing notes on a notepad in front of me um, and sort of see what comes i guess and it is about exactly as it was i i said this earlier on it's actually a quote from patrick ryan which is music videos are an attempt to uh, i'm paraphrasing here but to capture the tonality of a song yeah, right, right in a visual right. medium right um uh, uh so there's definitely that i will 100 percent say that um my the academic grounding that you're talking about 100 percent informs the stuff that i do however Filmmaking is unique in that if I was a painter and I I thought, okay, I've got this weird experimental idea for a painting and you, you know, paint it and it could be great or it could be terrible. And if it's terrible, you can decide to just never show it to anyone. Right. Whereas if you're a filmmaker, you could have this weird experimental idea and someone needs to pay for it. (laughs) And then you're contractually obliged to release it (laughs) no matter what happens. Right. So it's this really like you don't get that with any other art form. Right. You don't get that with, you know, if you were a singer songwriter or you're a painter or you were a, um, you know, a third occupation, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that, uh, sort of process or that implicit contract into your work right um so what 
you try and bring, uh, I suppose, from uh, your academic stuff isn't always what you might finally get across the line because, uh, you know, um, making uh, uh, music video stuff like that is uh, always to a degree an act of compromise, right? Mm. Um, I suppose as is all filmmaking, right? It's more than anything. That's the other huge difference between those things and being a painter is that it is fundamentally a collaborative process. Sure. You know, more than... More than anything, more than any other art form I can think of, maybe. Maybe making video games, I don't know. Like uh, I wouldn't know yeah. about it, but yeah, certainly, I mean, it's like when I can't no think of a more collaborative. Do you yeah, know what exactly, I mean? exactly. The, the God bless the old auteur theory but and yeah. its mythical status. I just, I just, you know, I had a class on that last semester where Did we just really? ripped it apart. No, well, so. yeah, I mean, and as you should, like... Um, uh, quite right. And as well, like that's something that I always really try to um, engender on my sets such that mm. they are is that, you know, everyone is really contributing like in a profound way. And um, I think it's really, really important to be able to recognize the limitations of your own talent and then sure. surround yourself with people more talented than you in other spheres you know what i mean yeah yeah um and and like tommy's a perfect example of that like yeah. he's you know incredibly talented talented at what he does and brings so many ideas and you know all these various things to it that i would not be able to bring and it's a joy to be like yeah man go for it like let's what do you got let's you know so um i i i really relish the collaborative process in that context right we may have moved somewhat away from your question but i love no, that feeling going. man i love that feeling of being on a set and everyone sort of feels like they're contributing and yeah. it, it it's it is a feeling of someone who was it i can't remember who it was but someone once described a shoot that we did for Rico corners as being like a bunch of strangers who came together to push a whale back into the ocean Right. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing of yeah. like when the whale has beached itself sure. and just a bunch of randomers are all sort of helping to just try and push this thing in. And I love that. I think that's yeah. the most incredible, you know, joyous experience. Um, the camaraderie on a film set when it's good is yeah, un yeah, yeah. It's, it's unmatchable. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's like I mean, back in back in the UCD days, mm -hmm. I was the editor of the college newspaper. That's right. And that's the only thing I can kind of compare it to was yeah. like everyone really, really under the cosh trying to get to a deadline. You know what I mean? It's sort of a similar vibe. I really I love that to death. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. My, my point is, I suppose, um, uh, you know, no, no great plan, no matter how lovingly informed by uh, an academic background it might be, survives contact with reality. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, you do your very best and hope hope it comes through in the end is there any is there any of your music videos you want to talk about before we go uh no i'm sure i've talked loads man <laughs> are you sure are you sure i'm sure we've talked plenty i love that mick flannery video the the mick flannery video was great the the i really really enjoyed that and i really like it as a as um i i, I what i like about that is um in a similar way to uh, trying to capture the moment that those activists realize that the song is effectively about or an attempt to encapsulate their life's work. Sure. Um, I, I love that genuine reaction thing, right? So when we put him in a box singing his song in the center of Dublin on a Saturday night, like all, there was no actors there. Like any weird reaction that people had was a real, real reaction. And we had a small army of people running around with release forms, getting anyone who came so near him. So those women that come up to him near the beginning, they're actually... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, everyone is everyone is a complete stranger off the street. And, um, and he doesn't react to them at all. He's just totally lost. No, he was amazing, man. He was so great to work with. And like, he he's a fundamentally shy person, I think, Mick Flannery. I, I think a lot of... Um, like, 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 you know, quite a few creative people, right? Yeah. Like, I think so many creative people, um, particularly more introverted, uh, creative people, uh, create art as a way to talk to people without having to actually talk to people. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that, that's really Mick, like, the, and, and he, 
he we talked for ages about him moving to Berlin and and living there for weeks and then realizing he hadn't spoken to a human being in like a period of weeks right like he's he's an inc- and he's an incredibly deep thinker like far he, he's he's a very intelligent man um and when i sort of talked to him for long enough and i sort of got this sense of him then i wanted to put him in a big perspex box <laughs> In the center of Dublin, and then also put him in a big perspex box in the center of the borough. Um, oh yeah, that was great. Uh, so different, two different, well, very different. That was it, and it, the entire thing was an attempt to be a rumination on on societal isolation right. and being, and that's sort of what again trying to match the the themes of the song to the wider to the themes of a video, right? Because there's a whole like that song. If you listen to the lyrics, is all about him driving around in a car and by virtue of him being in this car, being fundamentally separated from everyone in this rural town where he is and um, and him sort of, you know, looking out, if you like. So it wasn't a big leap to lash him in a box, right? Um, and uh, I also just find, um, and maybe this was because as well at the time, you know, people close to me were... Um, suddenly becoming very famous and stuff like that. So I had a lot of, I, I was thinking a lot about the reality of that situation. Sure. From, of, of like, uh, how do you put this? Um, what, what it's, what it's like for, for an authentic identity to be put out as, a product, effectively. Sure, it looked to be or completely to, marketed. Not, not even put out as a product, actually, that's the wrong term, to be consumed, okay, right, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and how bizarre and alien that actually is, right? And, and, and the nature of, like, fame as this increasingly aspirational aspect to our society. Um, and I just thought there was something kind of poetic about... Um, putting him in a in a very naked way, not literally, in a very naked way, you know, for the consumption yeah. of random, some people quite drunk, people just sort of... Because he's very much on display. He's very much on display, very exposed and singing a song without a... Like, I always find that, like, he, he doesn't have a guitar to even hide behind, right? He just is there in a box, yeah. just... There's not even that sort of defense mechanism of having an instrument, right? It's very, very uh, exposed. Um, and I wanted to capture that and I wanted to capture people's reactions to that uh, in an authentic way. There was no direction. Like, <laughs> there's surprisingly little direction in a lot of these things. The, the, like you mentioned, the you know, a video where we hung lads upside down and pelted them with holly powder for what we did yeah. for her to train. There's no direction for that. There's no direction for Nina Cry Power. There was no, can you be sad when you hear this song? It was, yeah. listen, and they, they would ask for direction. I'd be like, uh, just experience the song however you experience it and whatever you, however you experience it is perfect. And we're going to, and we'll just film it and that's it, right? And we'll project the stuff, but you know, you just listen to the song and sure. however you react is perfect, which is great because then you have the gamut of Christina Noble welling up and you have, uh, uh, Bernadette Devlin's stoicism and you have Colm O'Gorman sort of bopping away. Yeah. Right. And, and that's lovely because then you can, you know, intercut between those things and attempt to create an emotional arc within the edit. If you, so for in a similar way, you know, there was no direction on, what really what Mick is supposed to do there was no there was no communication of any kind to the people who were coming up apart from after they went into shot and we had someone run and make sure they signed a release form so it was all um, an attempt at, like authentic uh, and uh, capturing an authentic moment I suppose so you have lads banging on the glass you have we had one lad sort of try and set it on fire kind of poorly. I don't think that made it into the video because it didn't scan very well visually. But, you know, like it was just a lot of people very confused. And that's marvellous. That was it great. Is. And then just to put him out and put him because, you know, like by putting out a music video uh, uh, in and of itself, right, that is putting yourself in a box, <laughs> putting yourself out to be, exp you know, yeah. to be consumed by people or to be witnessed by people or whatever. Um uh, and then to to do that literally, and then circumvent or or contrast that against, um, 
which again is something that's reflected in the song because he's talking about being in the car and da da da. And then the the chorus comes in and it's uh, then I see a light from the window pane. Um, so I, I can't remember what the lyrics are, but something about a, a sense of of the great nightmarish indifference of the universe, right? Like seeing stars and being like. My problems are wholly insignificant and the universe does not care if I live or die. Right? right. And that was sort of the 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 um narrative trajectory of the lyrics. So then by putting him in the burren, which was this I mean, the most beautiful barren wasteland like you could possibly I think it's the most fascinating location in the world. I really do. I think it's stunningly beautiful. It's uni- it's like it's unique in all of its flora and fauna. Yeah, yeah anywhere yeah. in the world, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I mean it so we we lit it because we did it in the middle of the night. How no one broke an ankle, I will never know because it was pitch black and we had a couple of lanterns sort of around him and you could see the stars above him and in one of the shots we have um uh, uh um as a time lapse, if you like, where stars are moving above its head, and you can see, you know, effectively, the, you know, you're you're not watching the stars move; you're watching the Earth rotate, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it was just an attempt to capture that same sort of um, horrifying indifference of the universe <laughs> that Mick himself pointed to in the lyrics. Mm. Um, so that's what that video is about, I suppose. Yeah, it's so lovely. And I think you nailed it on the head as well, like in the grander you, scheme of... Very sweet of you No, to definitely. Say. And I think, look, I mean, I, we've we've talked about only two of your, you know, Stoneface films as such a large, extensive body of work when it comes to mu- music videos. Uh, I w- uh, well, that's very sweet of you. Not, not as many as I'd like now, if I'm being well, totally honest. more to come, I hope. Oh, sure. Yeah, look, I just need to... Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, we'll see. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we keep going. We yeah. we continue to exist unabated. Unabated. Yeah, that's all. You, that's a really good starting point. <laughs> John, thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Natasha. I really, really appreciate it. And My pleasure. It was great to talk to you.